podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast, Monday, 29th of November, brought to you by epilindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, change location, access things like American Netflix, or if you're a UK expat and you want to watch BBC iPlayer, it allows you to do that while also keeping your data safe. Check out libertyshield.com. Use the code EPLPOD, that's E-P-L-P-O-D, to get 20% off a check. Sorry, 50% off a checkout. Not 20%, 50% off a checkout. LibertyShield.com, EPLPOD. Download straight away and get using the number one rated VPN on Trustpilot. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally... Do check out the EPL Index shop on Etsy and use the code EPL25 to get 25% off a checkout. Or, if you're a Liverpool fan, Anfield Index on Etsy. Red25 will also get you 25% off. Right, folks. So, breaking news this morning. Manchester United have announced that Ralph Ranić will join the club as interim manager. The... German has decided to join till the end of the season and the statement reads as followed. Manchester United is delighted to announce the appointment of Ralph Rannick as interim manager until the end of the season, subject to work visa requirements. Following this period, Ralph and the club have agreed that he will continue in a consultancy role for a, for, for, for a further two years. John Murtaugh, Manchester United football director, a grossly underqualified man, said, Ralph is one of the most respective coaches and innovators in European football. He was our number one interim, man- interim manager, reflecting the invaluable leadership and technical skills he will bring from almost four decades of experience in management and coaching. Everyone at the club is looking forward to working with him during the season and then for a further two years in his advisory role. Ranić said, I am excited to be joining Manchester United and focusing on, focused on making this a successful season for the club. The squad is full of talent and has a great balance of youth and experience. All of my efforts for the next six months will be on helping these players fulfil the potential, both individually and most importantly as a team. Beyond that, I look forward to supporting the club's longer-term goals on a consultancy basis. Michael Carrick will remain in charge of the first team until Ranić's visa is ready and the club wishes to place on record its thanks to Lokomotiv Moscow for their cooperation in the process of bringing Ralph to Manchester United so let's rework that so uh, Lokomotiv Moscow very happy that Ralph Ranić has left and had according to reports been looking for a way to get rid of him 
without having to pay him out his contract. So uh, that's that part of that. Um, in terms of his consultancy role, uh, apparently it's not so much him who will be in a consultancy role, more so that Manchester United have signed up as clients to his consultancy business. Uh, so he won't even work in Manchester or solely work for Manchester United. He will have them as one of his clients. Uh, so they will not be getting his full attention. Um, is he one of the most respected coaches in Europe? Is That's a bit of a stretch. That's a bit of a stretch. He's a good coach, there's no doubt. But one of the most respected in Europe, I mean, one of how many? One of the most, the 50, maybe. But the guy hasn't been a full-time manager in 10 years. He's managed two seasons in that time. One was in the second Bundesliga. So only one season of top-flight football in the last 10 years. He's had multiple opportunities to go to other clubs. And for one reason or another, not worked out. But the last time he was on his way to England, it was to join West Brom. Uh, and then that fell apart. So, you know, that just tells you uh, where where he was viewed when he was a manager. When he was a full-time manager, the job in England that he could have gotten was West Brom. After a decade of not being a full-time manager, he's gotten the Manchester United job. Now, I'm not sure what that tells you, but it reminds me of, you know, when you have a player who's who's all right, decent and they get injured and while they're out injured their reputation enhances massively and they go from being the okay player they were when they were fit to this great player who's injured Lucas Leiva was a prime example of that a very average midfield player who tore his ACL and by the time he was due back Liverpool thought they were getting back Lothar Mateus Liverpool fans did anyway. Not all of them. Some of us had the sense to realise what he was and who he was. But it is what it is. This is one of those situations. Anyway, we will jump into the weekend's games and rattle through them as quickly as possible. Made of a nice short show today. Arsenal 2, Newcastle 0. The Gunners huffed and puffed and eventually blew the tune down. Bakayo Saka with the first goal after a nice bit of interplay down the left-hand side. Great finish. Hard across the goalkeeper into the bottom corner. He's such a good player. He really is such a good player. I'm very jealous of Arsenal having him, Smith-Rowe and Martinelli who came on and scored the second goal. Martinelli's been unfortunate with some injuries and he hasn't always been given the opportunities that he's needed at Arsenal. But that kid is really, really special. And there's little doubt in my mind that if Arsenal are going to be successful, he will be a big part of it. Very, very talented player that uh, will be a key feature for Arsenal, I think, in the years ahead. was interesting to see Arsenal go with largely the same team that got destroyed by Liverpool, with Odegaard coming in for Lacazette as the only change. Tavares needs a sit-down. To me, I thought he was poor in this game. I thought defensively he looked a bit looked a bit shook, looked a little uncertain of himself on the ball after the mistake he made 
in uh, at Anfield last weekend, and I think it's time for Kieran Tierney to come back in. But you know, the rest of it is what it is. It is it is the best they have. Saka one side, Smith Rowe, Tomas and Lakonga. Odegaard behind Aubameyang's not perfect. It doesn't really click yet, but you can see the individual talents. Um, Arsenal should have won this game more comfortably, if we're being fair. Uh, I thought Dubravka made a couple of really good saves to keep tune in it. Uh, Martinelli did make it 2-0 on 66 with a really tidy finish. Newcastle, I mean, they played some decent football. They created some half-decent opportunities. I thought Callum Wilson went down really, really weakly in the penalty area. It wasn't a foul. Stay on your feet. You're bigger, you're stronger than that guy. Bully him off the ball and get your shot away. Um, disappointing from Wilson, who's normally really good with his physicality. But this defeat is no surprise for Newcastle. They're the worst team in the league. 13 games into the season, they have zero wins. Six points. They're now three points behind Norwich. They do have a slightly better goal difference than Norwich. But they have conceded more goals and they do now have the worst defensive record in the league. Um, and for the tune, it is Norwich up next. Norwich at home tomorrow night, then Burnley at home on Saturday, and then the following Sunday they go to Leicester. After that, it's Liverpool, and then it's Manchester City. So if they're going to get points, it likely needs to be from the next two, maybe three games, depending on Leicester's form. But in all likelihood, the next two games are where they can pick up a win. Otherwise, they may well be stay, staring at no wins from 18. And it doesn't get a ton easier after Christmas either uh, with United and then Everton. So, yeah, a big, big week coming up for Newcastle with Norwich and Burnley. They've got to get... These are home games against the other teams at the foot of the table. They've got to get a result, two results, anything. They've got to start winning some football matches. If they lose both of them, they will be six points off 19th on Christmas Day. And that's a concern. At least six points, maybe more. For Arsenal, they are now fifth in the league. Um, level on points with West Ham, but a worse goal differential. They have Manchester United away on Thursday night. Then they're away to Everton. And then it's Southampton at home, West Ham at home, and Arsenal away. Sorry, Arsenal away. Leeds away. Leeds away. That's their next five. United at home. United away. Everton away. Saints at home. West Ham at home. Leeds away. Then they've got the EFL quarterfinal just before Christmas as well. But the next five league games is a difficult run. But if Arsenal are going to present themselves as, I don't know, top four candidates, whatever, they've got to be picking up results in games like these. Uh, it will be interesting to see who is in charge at Manchester United for that game. Um, but for now, Arsenal do sit five points clear of United and should be confident of winning each and every one of those games, including West Ham, which is a home game. It is notable 
that every team from Arsenal down either has a negative goal differential or zero goal difference. There are only four teams in the entire league with a positive goal difference. Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool and West Ham. Arsenal's is minus two. In fifth. That's not, that's not good. And that tells me you're not really for real. Um, as does the fact that you got shellacked at Anfield last week. Moving on then to the next game of the weekend. We had Liverpool four, Southampton nil. Comprehensive win for the Reds. Very, very straightforward. Very businesslike. Two for Jota. One for Thiago that took a deflection, but I like to think it was flying in anyway. The aesthetics of what he did before the shot make it worthwhile. And Van Dijk making it four on 52 minutes. Um, like I say, very straightforward for Liverpool. They were comfortably the better team. Saints did have a couple of moments where they looked threatening. But all in all, Liverpool never really looked troubled in the game. Uh, we've seen a couple of pieces over the last few days. Uh, one in the Daily Mirror criticising Ibrahima Kanate. Um, I guess Ibrahima Kanate is just not the right skin colour for certain people because the same people were praising Nat Phillips to the sky in January when he was awful. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I'm not going to spend much time on that game. If you want to hear more on that game, check out the Daily Red podcast over on AnfieldIndex.com. It's only about a 15, 20-minute pod every day. That comes out at lunchtime. Uh, Norwich nil, Wolves nil. Um, Timo Pukki should have won the game for Norwich, but that might have been harsh on Wolves. But this was a good performance from Norwich, and they certainly deserved at least the draw. Dean Smith has made them harder to beat. He has made them more compact. He's got players working exceptionally hard. And I think there's the beginnings of a bit of decent balance in this game. Now, he left Todd Cantwell out of the team this week, bringing in Josh Sargent. You'd imagine that's for a little bit more physicality, higher-end work rate. Um, and to be fair, I, I thought I thought Sargent did okay. Uh, Christos Solis, the young Greek international, he came off the bench in this one and uh, looked pretty lively. So, look, things are looking up for Norwich a little bit. They're obviously still in the bottom three, but they are now level on points with Burnley, though Burnley do have the game in hand. Um, they really need to start scoring some goals. That is going to, if nothing else, their inability to score goals will see them down. Bad defence or not, if you can't score goals in the Premier League, you're going to go down. Um, especially when you're not good enough to keep regular clean sheets. So, look, it's seven points from the last three games. That's a really, really good run of form. Up next, they get Newcastle away. They can go there thinking they can get a draw. Then they get an out-of-form Tottenham. Manchester United at home. Villa at home in what will be quite a, a big game. West Ham away. And that leads them into Christmas. Newcastle, Tottenham, United, Villa and West Ham. It is a difficult run. There's no doubt about it. It is a difficult run. But if they could get a result at Newcastle, if they could beat Newcastle and maybe pick up 
another four points from the other four games. Which I don't think is out of the realms of possibility, considering two of them are at home. Maybe, maybe they'd have a chance. Maybe they can give themselves a fighting chance. Uh, for Wolves, they are in sixth. Again, zero goal differential, which, you know, makes me question the, how legitimate that sixth place is, but you can only be where you are. You can only beat the teams in front of you. And that's what they've done thus far. They've got a difficult enough run coming up, though. They get Burnley at home on Wednesday. Then they go, I said, then they've got Liverpool at home on Saturday. Then they go to the Etihad to face City. Then they play Brighton away. And then they play Chelsea at home. So they play all of the top three between now and Christmas. And the other two games, Burnley scrapping for survival. Brighton, always difficult to play against. So not an easy run for Wolves. We'll learn quite a lot about them in the next few games. And like with Norwich, though, obviously not as drastic. They need to start scoring goals. That's their biggest issue right now. Defensively, they're very good. They control games very well. They've got some impressive, creative players. You can see the little automations that Bruno Lage has already built into the game, but they need to start finding a way to put the ball in the net. I mean, defensively, they've only conceded 12 goals all season, which is the fourth best in the league. But going forward, they've only conceded 12 goals. And only Norwich and Tottenham have scored less. Now, Brighton, sorry, and Southampton. Norwich, Tottenham and Southampton have scored less. Brighton and Leeds have scored the same amount. But still, you've got the joint fourth worst attack and the fourth best defence. You've got to find a little bit more balance with that attack. Got to get a better mid-table attack and be fine. But you can't have a bottom four attack. You just can't. Um, moving forward then. Aston Villa 2, Crystal Palace 1 at Selhurst Park. This was the worst I've seen Crystal Palace play all season. And Villa were very good. To their credit, Villa were very good. They looked like a... Well, they looked like a functioning team for starters which wasn't always the case under Dean Smith, and especially not this season. Gerard took the decision to drop Danny Ings. He brought Ashley Young into the team. He started Leon Bailey and dropped Emmy Buendia. And they looked a much better team. They looked a more purposeful team. They'd pace in wide areas. Watkins through the middle is where he needs to be. Ashley Young wouldn't be anyone's first pick to start for their team at this point in his career. But according to Gerard, he has taken on the information and instruction quicker than the rest. That's understandable, given his age, given his experience, who he's worked under, Ferguson, Conte. The guy's been around and done it. I thought Villa in midfield looked really impressive. One of the things that Palace have been able to do this season is overrun teams using the energy and the drive of Conor Gallagher. And I thought Marvellous Nakamba in particular did a really good job at negating that. I thought Ramsey, anytime he picked the ball up and got Villa going in the opposite direction, showed a level of physicality that Palace were 
really struggling to deal with. So, all in all, I think this was a good Villa performance. Uh, Matt Target put them one up on 15 minutes, somehow found himself in a ton of room in the box. John McGinn made it two on 86. A really tidy finish from the edge of the box, though it did seem to come off his shin. But to control it with, with your shin from that area is probably more impressive than to control it with your foot. Mark Wehi made it 2-1 on 95. A consolation goal. Poor defending from my man Tyrone Mings. Um, but there was a lot to be impressed about with this Villa team. Like I say, with Palace, probably the worst performance of the season. Michael Elise got the start. It didn't go as well as hoped. We did see the return of Eberichiesi, which is huge. He's such a good player. He's so much fun. Benteke. Benteke has played well this season. There's no doubt about it. But when it doesn't go well, when it doesn't go well, he does look kind of pointless. It's a little bit stupid to have him on the pitch when he's not playing well. Now, obviously, you don't know if he's going to play well before the game or not. But I thought, I thought Vieira could have taken him off because he, he just wasn't offering anything. I think they would have been better off keeping on Zaha or, or Elise because I think at least they are match winners. Um, but yeah, big win for Villa. And they have now launched themselves into 13th spot in the league with back-to-back victories. But a tough run coming now. Manchester City at home on Wednesday. Then Leicester at home on Sunday. Then a trip to Anfield. Then a trip to see their old boss, Dean Smith, in Norwich. And then Burnley at home. So, no easy games there. They've also got a fairly tough run coming off the backside of the Christmas. So, yeah, Villa need to continue this momentum. Huge test for them coming up against City. Huge test. It's one thing playing an out-of-sorts Brighton and Palace. It's going to be very different when you play Manchester City. So we'll we'll learn a lot about the early days of the Gerrard revolution over the next three games. But so far, so good. No question there. Uh, for Palace, disappointing. They drop into 11th spot in the league. But it's only their third defeat of the season. They have shown... A very good level, very good consistency thus far this season. And they go to Leeds tomorrow night, then to Manchester United. Then they get Everton at home, Southampton at home, and a trip to Watford for the London Derby. So you'd look at that and you'd say there's three winnable games there. Everton at home, Everton have been terrible in recent weeks. Southampton at home is a game they should look to win. And Watford is a game they should be looking to win. Leeds away. It's a game they could win, but I think a point would be a good result. And I think they definitely take a point at Old Trafford. But that will get them to Christmas. Leeds, Manchester United, Everton, Southampton and Watford. I am going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up the rest of the games. It is worth noting there was only nine Premier League games this weekend because Tottenham versus Burnley at Burnley ended up being called off because of the snow. Understandable if you saw the pictures, it was quite chaotic. Um, did see a story of a, 
an American couple who flew from Dallas to London and then got the train from London to Burnley only for the game to be called off and them to miss out on being able to go. Now, Harry Kane apparently saw this story and he's offered to sort them with tickets for a home game. Um, so hopefully they can stick around and go to uh, a Spurs home game on this trip. It would be a terrible shame if they came all this way and didn't get to go to a game. Uh, Tottenham have Brentford at home on Thursday and then Norwich at home on uh, Sunday. So, I mean, they might have got tickets maybe for Burnley and Brentford as part of this trip. Because why else would you go to London and then to Burnley if you're just coming to see the Burnley game? Um, you'd fly into Manchester, surely. Um, so maybe Kane can sort them for the other one. You know, if they're here for a while, they've also got Ren then at home in the Europa League. So, you know, there's a, there's a few games there. Hopefully they're sticking around. They can get to a game. We will take that as the break. And when we come back, we'll run through the last five games. We'll run through Garth Brooks and see what madness he's put forward this week and there might be a bit of gossip at the end see you in a minute bye-bye right welcome back so we're going through our premier league games from the weekend and the next one up then is brighton versus leeds which was the late kickoff on a saturday evening and was a nice you know way to wind down and put yourself to sleep on a saturday uh, lots of sterile possession from Brighton, lots of counter-attacking efforts from Leeds, lots of huff, uh, huff and puff, lots of hustle and bustle, not a whole lot of good football. Um, and, you know, to be fair, a nil-nil draw is a much better result for Leeds than it was on the day for Brighton. Brighton really could do with starting to win a couple of games. That's, I think, no wins in six now. Their fans booed at the end of the game, which I, I do want to take issue with because, <clears throat> look, I, I used to go to Brighton uh, home games uh, regularly. I had a season ticket when I lived down there. And the fans are great, genuinely great. But Brighton were garbage. Absolutely atrocious for years. And stadium-wise, they now have a lovely stadium. But before that... It was a horrible place to go and watch football. The Whit Dean just wasn't a... It wasn't a football stadium for starters. It's, it's an athletic stadium. And it's cold. And it's miles from the pitch. You know, if you're, if you're behind a goal, you're going to need the binoculars. It is not a good place to go and watch football. And... You lived through, what, a decade? Was it 11, 12 years of playing at the Whipteen before you moved into the new stadium? You saw lots of bad football. And I do mean bad football. Atrocious stuff at times. You saw promotions and relegations. You went up and down the divisions. You were in League One. You were in the Championship. You were in Division 3 at times. It was just a mess. And then Tony Bloom bought the club. And then things started to go in the right direction. And you got your new stadium. And you started to get some better players. And you started to get some better managers. And 
Then you got into the Premier League under Chris Hewton, and that was fine. And then you got this really exciting manager in Graham Potter. And after four consecutive seasons in the Premier League, finishing in the bottom five or six, you're now in the top half. And yet you expect more than that. And I understand you, you, you know, you want to see your team do well. And it was a frustrating game to watch, but Jesus wept, lads. Do me a favor. You, you, you're in the Premier League. You're in the top half of the table. You're currently level on points with Manchester United and Leicester. You're one point behind Spurs. Like that's the company you're currently keeping. What more do you want? Yes. You could have bought a couple of extra players. I was calling for that as well. But there was a global pandemic that caused financial catastrophe for many people. And I would imagine that Tony Bloom took a bit of a hit during the pandemic. But you can't boo because you've drawn at home with Leeds. You can't boo that. If you'd gotten beat 6-0, then you could boo. But you looked overly privileged, overly entitled, and like you all just needed a slap in the backside. Calm yourselves down. You can't boo. You're Brighton. You're Brighton. Remember where you were 10 years ago, getting promoted out of League One into the Championship, playing in a hovel. Freezing, absolutely freezing in December. As sea breezes whipped in across. It was awful. Absolutely awful. It got better when you moved. You got a real stadium for the first time in a long time. And things have gone up and up since. You're living through the golden era of Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club. Think about that. This is the golden era of Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club. Your Premier League team with a great stadium, a brilliant owner. Really good director of football. Really good manager. The best group of players you've probably ever had. How is that not enough? Let's let's give it a few more years before we want the, for the next step. Before we start demanding silverware and further success. Jesus wept. Anyway, Brighton, ninth in the league. Uh, coming up, West Ham away. Southampton away, Spurs at home, Wolves at home, and then Manchester United away. So that gets us to Christmas. Now look, the form has not been great. The last Premier League win was the 19th of September. So it has been over two months since you won a Premier League game. I get it. I understand. But still, it's not like you've lost every single game. You know, you drew at Palace away. You drew at home to Arsenal and outplayed them. You drew at Norwich. You drew at Liverpool. You drew at Newcastle. Norwich and Newcastle, they are disappointing results. None of the rest of them really are. So let's just settle down a little bit. For Leeds, the season continues to be a struggle. Um, they are 17th. They are one point behind Watford who are 16th, uh, but they're still, you know, in good touch with the rest of the league. Only the two wins thus far, that will be a disappointment for Bielsa. They've got Palace in midweek, 
then Brentford at home, then trips to Chelsea and Manchester City, which aren't particularly fun. They've actually got Chelsea, City and Liverpool all away um, in a just over two-week period between the 11th and 26th of December. Uh, in between them, you've got a home game against fifth-place Arsenal. So it is a really tough run. It is a really tough run for Leeds. They've got to get results in the next two home games against Palace and Brentford because it doesn't look particularly favourable to them after that. Villa just before the turn of the year as well will be a tough one. So Leeds need to get their act together. Uh, they're getting players back to fitness, but the big one for them is going to be Patrick Bamford. Having him back, having him available is massively important to their hopes for the season. Because without him, there just doesn't seem to be any goals in the team. Um, right, let's move on then. Brentford won into Sunday's games. Brentford won Everton nil and Ivan Tony penalty after 24 minutes. The only goal of the game. Very nonchalant penalty by Tony. And a good win for Brentford, who haven't been in good form of late. But this is a, an important victory for them. They'd stopped the rot of four successive defeats last week with a draw. They get the win this week. Puts them back into 16th position. Keeps them seven points clear of Burnley, who are in 18th. And, um, you know, means that thus far, the season has been a great success for them. Now, they've got Tottenham away on Thursday, then Leeds away. Then they've got Watford at home. I think that's a must-win game for them. Then they get Manchester United at home. Then it's Southampton away. And then they've just got Chelsea in the um, League Cup semi-final just before Christmas. But the five league games again, Tottenham, Leeds, Watford, United and Southampton. A couple of wins there to be had for sure. Pick up seven points from that five games. It's a good average. It'll keep you going. It'll keep you up. I, I really like this Brentford team. I think they've had really bad luck with injuries. And right now they've got eight players currently out or, or injured. So um, as soon as they can keep getting those players back, you know, there's a couple of really important ones to come back, like Christopher Ayer, like the goalkeeper. Not a big fan, but he has been decent for them this season. Uh, though I do think, to his credit, I did think Fernandez played quite well at the weekend. Um, the only weak link in that team that played at the weekend, I thought, was good. Didn't think he was much up to much. But a strong team. Strong team and a, a physical team. They dealt well with, with what Everton had to offer. And uh, I think that defeat spoke more of the Blues than it did of anything else. Um, they're on a dreadful run. No wins in their last seven. Four defeats in their last five. The promising start they had now in the toilet. The injuries ra ramping up. Rafa coming under increased pressure. Marcel Brands somehow still still sitting pretty as director of football, despite having done an abomination of a job for three years. A squad built by seven different managers to play seven different ways. It's no wonder this team is all over the place. And it doesn't look good for Everton right now. But on the plus side, they do have Calvert-Lewin to come back. And once he comes back, he will make a huge difference for them. They'll get Mina back fairly soon. 
they'll get um, Richarlison back for the Liverpool game from the suspension. So by the middle of this month, the hope is that Everton will be able to put their best 11 on the pitch. And their best 11 under Rafa is probably a top half team. Probably. If he's still there to see it out. But very, very difficult game coming up for them Wednesday night. They've got Liverpool. Then they've got Arsenal. Then they're away to Crystal Palace, away to Chelsea and away to Leicester. Sorry, at home to Leicester. At home to Leicester. So Liverpool, Arsenal, Palace, Chelsea and Leicester. Based on what we've seen the last number of weeks, that could be five defeats. If it is, Benitez is gone. He won't even last the five. Indeed, a, a bad enough hammering to not, uh, Wednesday night could see him out, out the door. But Rafa Benitez is not the biggest problem at Everton, not by a long shot. And um, until they figure out what they're doing from the top down, they're going to just drift and drift and drift. Uh, moving on then, Manchester City 2, West Ham United 1. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan put City 1 up, tapping home. On 33 minutes from a Riyad Mahrez cross before Fernandinho put a Gabriel Jesus cutback into the bottom corner. Really tidy finish on 90. Manuel Lanzini with a contender for goal of the week on 94 to give West Ham a little bit of a late fighting chance. City were the better team. City were the dominant team in this game. Very controlled. Very good football at times. Bernardo Silva again, excellent. Gundigan looking like last season's Gundigan. This City team are just fun to watch. No Foden, no De Bruyne. It didn't really matter. They were just brilliant. The one that did matter is no Grealish because they're better without him. And I will die on the hill that this City team are better without Jack Grealish. Diaz and Laporte, unquestionably their best centre-back pairing. Unquestionably. Laporte very, very good again in this game. Almost scored. Thought he did a good job of, deal, of, of dealing with Antonio's threat. And uh, all things considered, I thought I thought City were excellent in this game. I didn't understand, I have to say this, I didn't understand the decision to start Masuaka. I understand that Bowen was rested, but why not start Vlasic? Why not start Yarmolenko? Why start Masuaka? Well out of his depth. Credit to West Ham in this game. They really put their bodies on the line defensively. And there was two brilliant goal line clearances. One from um, Ben Johnson and one from Cresswell. Where Cresswell looked like he might have broken a few ribs. Um, really, really impressive defensive display. I thought they did their best to really hold out as long as they could against City. Uh, it was just City had too much quality and too much of the ball. But, you know, no shame in it for West Ham. They're still fourth. It is back-to-back defeats, though. And I think Moyes will be a little bit disappointed about that, especially last weekend's because it was Wolves. But um, for the Hammers, they've got Brighton at home on Wednesday. Then it's Chelsea at home next weekend. Then they get Zagreb in their last Europa League group stage match. That's a a dead rubber for them because they're already through. Then they go to Burnley. They go to West Ham and they get Norwich at home. And then it's Spurs in the EFL quarterfinal. Um, Tough enough run of games. 
They'll want to bounce back. They'll look at Brighton, Burnley and Norwich as wins. Games they'll have marked down to win. I think they'd probably take draws in the other two games, if I'm being honest, with Chelsea and, and, and Arsenal away. But if they do that, should keep them well in the mix for a top four spot. Um, thus far, they've obviously avoided the injury jinx, so fingers crossed that maintains the same for them. For City, they are second. They are one point behind Chelsea. And for them next, they get Villa away, then Watford away, then Wolves at home, then Leeds at home, and then Newcastle away. There is a, a group stage game in the Champions League against RB Leipzig on the 7th between the Watford and Wolves games. Um, but City will look at that as five five wins in the league. They'll expect to go to Villa Park and Vicarage Road and win. They will absolutely expect to beat Wolves and Leeds at home. And they'll expect to go to St. James's and win. So if they can start stringing together the five and six and seven game win runs that they've done in the past, it's going to make City very, very hard to beat to the title. They're going to be really tough to stop. It's a really good team Guardiola has there. They play, they're not, they're not as good as they were, obviously, 17, 18, 18, 19. And they're not nearly as scary as they were back then. But, I mean, they just played West Ham, fourth in the league, without De Bruyne and Foden, two nailed-on starters, and looked very comfortable. Very, very comfortable. Um, Leicester 2, sorry, Leicester 4, Watford 2. This was a fun game. This was a fun game. Played... At times in the snow. Actually, just on the snow. The City game, there was quite a bit of snow. And I thought at times the the, the yellow ball was very, very hard to see. I thought it was really hard to see. Actually, as well as that, the, the kit clash in the Saturday evening game with Wolves or with Leeds and, and Brighton, that was awful. But the ball in the, less, in the City game, I thought, especially in the first half, was really hard to see at times. Anyway. Uh, Leicester 4, Watford 2. This was a really good game. And I thought Watford really gave as good as they got. And I think the 4-2 flatters Leicester a little bit. Leicester went 1-0 one, one up with James Madison. Absolutely atrocious defending from Truce de Conk. What on earth was he doing? He ducks for no reason, lets the ball run behind him. Madison strolls onto it. And it's a really good finish. Uh, Josh King made it 1-1 on 30 minutes. Definite penalty. King steps up and scores. But four minutes later, Vardy, really good goal. Really, really good goal. Great ball from Madison. Great finish from Vardy. Really enjoyed that one. Uh, Vardy made it 3-1 at half time. Good header from Madison Cross. So Madison with a goal and two assists in that first half. The first real sightings of James Madison in a while, I, I thought. Uh, I thought the Sumari and Ndidi midfield pairing gave gave him a real platform to go and play. Uh, Luckman and Barnes, dangerous. And they combined for the fourth Leicester goal. Uh, Barnes putting on a plate for Luckman to tap home. Emmanuel Dennis had made it um, 3-2 before that. Just a really tidy finish. He's the second player in the league this season 
with five goals, five assists. The only other one is the only other one is Salah. He's having a really good season, and if they go down, which you know does, I think it looks likely that Watford will go down. They might have the attacking strength to stay up, but I do think it's it's highly possible, not probable, but highly possible that they go down. I would be certain a Premier League club is coming in to keep him in the league because he's 24, just turned 24 as well. He's got pace, versatility, he's aggressive, he creates chances for others, he scores goals. Not a big-time goal scorer, admittedly, but he does score some goals. I think he's a really good player, and I've been really impressed with him this season. Um. Yeah, anyway, that's just an aside on Emmanuel Dennis. But yeah, 4-2. I thought it I, I thought it flattered Leicester. I thought the game was closer than that. I think the Truce de Kong goal, the, the Madison goal, the Truce de Kong gifted him. Take that one out, and it's probably a, a fair reflection of the game. Leicester deserved to win. Not questioning that. Leicester deserved to win, but they weren't two goals better than Leicester, than Watford on the day. They just weren't. Um, for Leicester, that puts them into the top half. In 10th, a bit of a confidence booster after the Leisure Warsaw victory in midweek. They win this one. They go to Southampton next. We all know what happened when they went there two years ago. There's no need to rehash it. Then they have Aston Villa away. Then Napoli away in the last group stage game. And Leicester need the points to get through. Then Newcastle at home then Tottenham at home, and then Everton away just before Christmas. And they obviously drew Liverpool in the League Cup quarter-final on the 22nd of December. So, difficult enough. Five-game runs at Hampton away, Villa away. Newcastle at home is a, you know, a should win. Uh, Tottenham at home, and then, and then you get Everton away. Uh, but if Leicester, if Leicester are on their game... They should, they they could and should win all five. I don't think they will win all five, but it's definitely a possibility if they're on form. They're good enough. The talent is there, and they are getting players back from injury. And in the coming weeks, we should see James Justin back in the team. Thielemans will be back in a couple of weeks. And Wes Fafana, they're hoping to have back in the new year. Obviously, Ricardo Pereira missed out at the weekend. Big mistake, actually, by Timothy Caston, yeah, I meant to mention. In the uh, Emmanuel Dennis goal. Um, as far as Watford go, they're 16th. They're a point clear of Leeds. And four points clear of Burnley, who's at 18th. It's a tough run, though. It is a tough run. They've got Chelsea at home next. And then City at home. So your back-to-back home games are both really tough. Then they've got to go to Brentford. Then go to Burnley. And then it's Palace at home. So you've got three London derbies. You've also got the top two in the league. You've got Burnley away, which is never going to be fun, especially in an, in an evening game. Cold up there. Dice will still be in a shirt, though. Don't you worry. If you saw, <laughs> did anyone else see, uh, as they were inspecting the pitch before the Burnley-Tottenham game got called off, everyone else is there in, like, coats and hats and gloves, and Dice is just there in a shirt with a smile on his face. Like, you're not a wild man, Sean. You really aren't. Um, 
Anyway, last game then of the weekend was Chelsea won, Manchester United won. I mean, this game summed up what might cost Chelsea the title. Their inability to break down a deep block team. United were awful. They just parked multiple buses and defended for their lives. Cristiano Ronaldo was dropped, which was the only thing that made this possible. They went with McTominay, Matic and Fred as the midfield three. Bruno behind Sancho and Rashford. And uh, and no Harry Maguire, which I think helped as well. I thought Lindelof and uh, Bailly both played quite well. Defensively, United were good. Now, when I say they were awful, they were awful trying to go forward or do anything. But they they were good defensively. They worked really, really hard for each other. They really frustrated um, this Chelsea team. Uh, United went 1-0 up as well. Uh, some might call it a speculative hoof from Bruno Fernandes. I'm going to call it a perfectly aimed Gary Owen, which uh, Jorginho failed to control. Ball ran, ran loose to Sancho. And Sancho and Rashford just ran past Jorginho as no Chelsea player appeared to try and help him. Um went through on goal and it's a very tidy finish by Sancho his first Premier League goal building off the goal he got against Villarreal good to see he didn't have a great game but it is good to see him getting a goal and, and, and looking a bit more lively a bit more like himself um, like I said United parked the bus they made it ugly Chelsea were not good but they did get a, a draw from the game Thiago Silva was fouled in the box uh, by Juan Bissaka and uh, was given a penalty. Jorginho stepped up, hop, skip and a jump. And it is 1-1. This is a dreadful result for Chelsea. Dreadful. When you see what Liverpool and City did to this United team, um, it, it, you know, to draw with them. You didn't have to go out and spank them, but you had to win. You had to win. This is awful. Um, and this is the first real doubt I have over Chelsea. Now, last week, obviously, they drew with uh, with Burnley. They're still top. So not last week, week before. They drew with Burnley. They're still top, so that's fine. But, you know, to have dropped points in two of your last three games, City have now closed the gap on you to one point. You do have to think that they're going to need to find ways to start scoring more goals, creating more chances. They had a lot of shots in this game. I think they had 25 or 26, 24 shots. Only four on target. So where are you shooting from? Uh, It didn't work with Timo Werner up front. Didn't work at all. He had another poor game. Uh, But no Kai Havertz available to you made it hard to do what you would do. Thought the decision not to start Mount was a bit of an odd one. Um, You know, Lukaku finally came off the bench. But the two best chances they had, or the two best efforts they had, uh, Hudson-Odoi had won actually so the Hudson-Odoi when he should have scored but Antonio Rudiger had a shot from about 25 yards that banged off the crossbar and then in the second half Rudiger was left all alone at the back post and skied a volley into the um, into the fans They're, that's about the height of what they really created they're going to need to do more uh, Cristiano came off the bench got booked, had a tantrum threw his arms up in the end and stormed off and went for a big old sulk. Roy Keane had himself a bit of a tantrum 
in the Sky studio afterwards in a bit of an argument with Stephen Gerrard, or with Jamie Carragher. But Carragher was right. I mean, look, United could not have played the way they played in this game with Cristiano. And Roy was going on about, you know, like counterattack. You need Cristiano on a counterattack. No, you need players who do the defensive work as well. You can't play the way they played if you've got one fella standing on the halfway line and the rest doing the defensive work because somewhere there will be a gap that he's meant to be filling. United didn't. United had 10 men behind the ball plus the keeper all the time. Their first half, you, know, you can look at the average positions. Go and find the average positions for United players in the first half in that game. Every single United player, their average position throughout the full first half was in their own half. Every single one of them, including Sancho, Rashford and Bruno. Every one of them, their average position was in their own half in that first half. You could not have done that with Cristiano because he's not good enough defensively. He doesn't do anything to help you off the ball. This is a great point for United. And credit to Michael Carrick. Now, not huge credit. We saw Oli play like this multiple times against the big clubs and get similar results. Uh, that's all he's done is copy the copybook. But it is a good result because they should have been, they should have been tonked. They really should have been tonked. United are eighth in the league. Ranić obviously takes over, um, this week. Coming up for them, they've got Arsenal at home. Tough start. Then Crystal Palace at home. Again, a tough game. Then they have Young Boys in the final Champions League group stage game. Then it's Norwich away, which will be tough under Dean Smith. Brentford away, which will be a tough game, especially if they have everybody back. And then Brighton at home, and that takes them into Christmas. So not the most difficult run. Games they should really win. The talent they have would dictate that they should win all five. But, you know, reality is they're, they're not going to win all five because they're not good enough to win all five. Uh, Arsenal, Palace, Norwich, Brentford and Brighton. And that'll take them to Christmas. You know, uh, Chelsea, like I said, they stay top of the league. And um, they've got Watford away. Then West Ham away, then Leeds away. Sorry, then Leeds at home, Everton at home, and Wolves away. Along with Zenit St. Petersburg away in their last group stage game, and Brentford in the League Cup. So, you know, games they should win, but I think teams will start to look at what United did and what Burnley did and start to think maybe we should do that. Because you know, Rafa will try it. Bielsa won't, Lage won't, Moyes could but probably not at home. Uh, Ranieri won't. But Rafa might. And I don't think Chelsea can really afford to drop many more points before Christmas. Because Liverpool and City both look pretty good at the minute. Uh, so that is it, folks. That's the nine Premier League games. Obviously, Burnley versus Tottenham was called off. And will need to be rescheduled, which could play havoc with their... Um, with their schedules, if it's tried to, if they try to jam it into a small gap. Um, but as the table stands, it is Chelsea from one point from City, then Liverpool, West Ham, Arsenal, Wolves, Tottenham, Manchester United, Brighton, Leicester, that's the top half, Crystal Palace, Brentford, Aston Villa, Everton, and Southampton, 
And then you get Watford, Leeds, Burnley, Norwich, and Newcastle. Now, in the defense of Burnley, if they win their game in hand, which is against Spurs, they could move one spot up the table into 18th, into 17th. If Tottenham were to win their game in hand, they would move into sixth place. So that's how the league table stands right now. Let's go and see what my good friend Garth has done this week for his team of the week. So he's got David De Gea in goal. He made one good save in the entire game. One. Uh, he's gone for Rudiger. I'm not sure what Rudiger did to deserve a spot in the team, considering Chelsea had little to no defending to do, and the bits they did, did have to do, they didn't do well. So, that would be a no on Rudiger. What has happened there is he's seen the couple of chances and thought, no, nah, he played well, he had a shot that hit the crossbar. So Rudiger's out, De Gea's out. He's picked Van Dijk. Fair enough, he scored. Liverpool were very comfortable and Virgil looked imperious. Um, I'm not having Tavares. Get out, get out, get out. He's picked Saka again because he scored. He's picked Thiago again because he scored. Madison again because he scored. McGinn again because he scored. And then up front he's gone for Salah who didn't score. Mane who didn't score. And Vardy who did score twice. Not Jota who scored twice for Liverpool, but the other two. Um, a very strange, as always, a very strange team. Andy Robertson was the best player in the Liverpool Southampton game. He didn't make the team. Didn't make the team. Matty Cash was really good for Villa. Really good. Put Wolf Saha in his pocket, got forward, supported the attack. He didn't make the team. Ezri Konza was brilliant for Villa. No sign of him. I thought Ben Gibson had a really good game for Norwich. He didn't make the team. I, I just don't understand what it is that Gareth Crooks has done here. He's picked a couple of players who flat out didn't play well. Uh, a fella who had very little to do. And two lads that were the second and third best attackers in their own team, but not the guy who was the best attacker in his own team. He hasn't picked the best player in that match. He picked four Liverpool players. And didn't pick Liverpool's best player on the day. You could argue he didn't pick the two best players. Because Alisson maybe was worthy of, of mention. But just. Gareth. What is this? This is atrocious. This is for you even awful. And you're always awful. Uh, we'll wrap up with the gossip. We've got a few days to catch up on. So let's run through them. Um, Norway striker Erling Haaland's preferred destination if he leaves Borussia Dortmund is Real Madrid I think everybody's known that for a while Newcastle are leading the chase to sign Usman Dembele are they? is that really what they need? and if they're in the championship is he going to want to go there? 
are, are they going to want to want him? I think they've got other needs that are probably more prevalent. Barcelona are desperate for reinforcement, attacking reinforcements, and could consider moves for Jesse Lingard and Edinson Cavani. Jesse Lingard, not good enough to get in a mid-table United team. Definitely the man to go and sort out Barcelona. Uh, Leeds and England midfielder Calvin Phillips will reject a move to Manchester United next summer to remain at Ellen Road. Yeah, I probably would reject a move to Ellen Road or to Manchester United. I think he might accept a move to other places, though. Uh, United and Ralph Ranić, blah, blah, blah. United will move for Eric Ten Hag if they fail to bring in PSG manager Maurizio Pochettino in the summer. Uh, Ferran Torres is a target for Barcelona. And the new camp have agreed a deal with the player, but have yet to come to an arrangement with the club. This sounds like nonsense. Mikel Arteta has emphatically denied that Arsenal will listen to offers for Nicolas Pepe in January. That's because you wouldn't get the fraction of the value on him. Aston Villa will prioritise signing a centre-back and defensive midfielder. Uh, it's from Football Insider, so it's trash. But they could definitely do it one in midfield, one at centre-back and a left-back. Um, Tottenham boss Antonio Conte, whose side suffered an embarrassing loss to NS Moura, which, if that was in Ireland, would be National School of Moura, which sounds like it might be, you know, basically a primary school in Roscommon or somewhere. Um, he says he's making evaluations about his players. They're all getting put in the bin, is my guess. Uh, Fulham's Serbian striker Alexander Mitrovic has been lined up for a dream move to Juventus. I doubt it. Carney uh, Chukwemeka of Aston Villa is not going to sign a new contract, putting the biggest Premier League clubs on alert. Manchester City, Manchester United and Liverpool all have interest in the 18-year-old. He is exceptionally talented, but you do have to question whether he's been badly advised by an agent. Villa have bent over backwards for him including signing his brother, who's not good enough to play for Aston Villa. So um, I think someone needs to sit the boy down, have a chat with him. Maybe that's Steven Gerrard. Maybe that should be one of Gerrard's first tasks. Uh, moving on, Manchester United believe Ralph Ranić's arrival will give them the advantage in signing Erlen Haaland. I don't think they do. I don't think they think that at all. Ranić is targeting 21-year-old Mali midfielder Amadou Haidira from RB Leipzig as his first signing. Haidir is very talented. He has not lived up to expectation at Leipzig. I would be surprised if United signed him, to be honest. David Moyes is set to make a final bid for James Tarkovsky in January with the 29-year-olds that become a free agent. I would be surprised if he doesn't move in January. And I think he's a really, really well-fitted West Ham signing. Him and Zuma could be a good pairing, I think. Uh, Ferran Torres has submitted a transfer request. No, he hasn't. Fiorentina has put a £55 million price tag on Dusan Vlahovic in a bid to hold off interest from Manchester United. No, they haven't. Alex Lacazette has said his agents are considering options with the 30-year-old French striker's contract out of... 30-year-old French striker out of contract in the summer. Uh, Real Madrid will not be signing Paul Pogba next summer, despite being heavily linked with the 28-year-old. I don't believe that. I don't believe that they won't sign him if they can. If he's on a free, I think they would sign him. I think they're foolish enough 
to do that. Uh, PSG have no intention of letting Mauricio Pochettino go at the end. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Phil Coutinho could be on the move to Newcastle, although he initially rejected a move to Premier League club. Um, he he won't join them in a relegation battle, I don't think. I don't think he would anyway. Uh, Pep Guardiola says Manchester City are the only English club you manage. Well, they're the only one that can give you the money that you want, Pep. And uh, Nabil Fakir is close to an agreement with Real Betis over a new contract. It's good to see him doing well. It is good to see him doing well. Um, Crystal Palace are watching Spanish striker Borja Mayoral with the 24-year-old struggling to get time, game time with Roma while on loan from Real Madrid. Talented player. Did well for Roma last season, but obviously this season they've brought in Tammy Abraham and another striker whose name I'm not even going to try and pronounce. Um, he's kind of fallen down the pecking order. Don't know that he's what Palace need, but look, you can never have too many good players, and he is a good player. Arsenal and Tottenham are both in contention to sign Dejan Kuliszewski from Juventus. If he's available, a lot of clubs will be in for him. Uh, Christian Perlzel said there could be one or two incomings at Villa during the January transfer window. He is the Villa chief executive. He's also a pillock. Steven Gerrard is seeking defensive reinforcements and the new Aston Villa manager is targeting a lone move for Joe Gomez. It would be a move that makes sense, though I think Dujicleta Carr could be the perfect signing for them at left-side centre-back. Um, and obviously, you need a left-back. Borna Sosa, Stuttgart. Thank me later for that. You're welcome to them for free. Uh, moving on then to the last bit, we have Real Madrid's Croatian midfielder Luka Modric is open to the idea of linking up with Manchester City when he becomes a free agent next summer. Luka Modric is 36. He will be 37 early next season. I do not see Manchester City signing him personally. Uh, Newcastle are in the race to sign Hoffenheim's Austrian midfielder Florian Grilich. That's not a bad move. He He's a good player. Bayern and Barcelona are both in the running to sign Bubakar Kamara. I would, I would recommend that he sign for neither of those clubs. He won't start for Bayern. And he could start right back, but he's not a right back. But I, 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 would, I wouldn't sign for either of them if I was him. Not now. Not yet. Go somewhere else. Have an in-between move. And then if they come back in in two or three years' time, you can go there as a starter. Do that. Uh, Usman Dembele has rejected Barca's latest contract extension. How many contract extensions have they given him? Because it seems like every two or three weeks, he's rejecting a new one. Arsenal have been named as one of the clubs wanting to sign Raheem Sterling. Um, I don't know that Raheem would go to Arsenal, to be honest. Fulham are making a big push for Angers midfielder Angelo Fulgini and could meet the eighteen million pound price tag for the Algerian for the Ivory Coast born player. Um very talented. Fouled more than anyone in Europe last season. Wins a lot of free kicks. Creative player, good dribbler. Interesting player. Interesting player. French under-21 international a few years ago. Eligible to play for the Ivory Coast, where he was born. Italy, where his dad is from. 
New Caledonia, whereas Munster, he's not going to play for them. Uh, but, you know, he could be a really good addition to the Ivory Coast if they wanted to uh, to bring him on board. As for Fulham, I, I don't know that you should be spending £18 million on a player when you're in the Championship. Um, Manchester City have no intention of letting Ferran Torres go for less than €70 million. Euro. This is just a story that Marca have concocted by themselves and are basically debating among themselves day after day. If Torres moves to Barcelona, it could open the drawer. The drawer, the door for uh, RB Leipzig's 23-year-old Spanish midfielder Danny Olmo to make a move to Man City. Uh, Olmo's been linked with a bunch of different clubs. He needs to do more at Leipzig before he moves on. Former Aston Villa striker Kevin Phillips believes his old club should sell Anwar El Ghazi and Bertrand Traore in January. See. I don't necessarily disagree. I just don't know where you'd sell them. And I don't think they're any bigger of a problem than, for example, Danny Ings. Because Traore and El Ghazi kind of fit how Gerard wants to play. Now, they are two they could sell to raise money, but I, I just don't know where you would sell them to. I'm not sure where the value or the market would be for either of them. Um, especially for Bertrand Traore, who only went there, what, 14, 15 months ago? Southampton are interested in signing Blackburn striker Ben Brereton Diaz. Uh, Sevilla are also said to be interested. Um, he's obviously played with Armstrong before, and he's having himself a hell of a season. Like, for a guy whose previous season high was seven goals in 43 games. He has 16 and 21 games so far this season. Ben Brereton has long been expected to be a very good player. When he was at um, Nottingham Forest, he was very highly regarded. He'd been there. He was four years there. He was at Stoke for a year or so. He was in the United Academy for quite a while as well. But he's always been very highly thought of. At Blackburn, he had to play sort of a second striker role behind Armstrong. This season, he's the main man. And he's also playing full of confidence because he's been called up to the Chilean national team. And he's got three goals in nine games for them. He's becoming a bit of a phenomenon there. And, um, yeah, I mean, credit, credit to him. He's had a huge step up this season. And that 16-goal return has been very, very impressive. Very, very impressive. And uh, you'd wonder if he can sustain that over the course of the year, if he can level it up into the Premier League. But if he can, then, yeah, I mean, he's still only 22. That's the thing. He's still really young. But he's the second highest scorer in the championship this season after Mitrovic. Um, it's funny, Dom Solanke. Big money signing there. Joel Perot, I don't know a whole lot about. He's the Dutch guy at Swansea. He's having a good season as well with the looks of things. Um, some quality players in the championship. It is shaping up to be a good championship season. It's a funny thing where West Brom are third and their fans are furious with ownership, with the management. They don't like the style of football. They don't like anything. But, you know, you're third. 
yeah, you're eight points off automatic qualification. There's 26 games left. Settle down. No need to get so upset about things. Uh, that is it, folks. That is me for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Goodbye. Podcast Network.